protests, we walking, raising awareness. Some of the injustice that we've been seeing is not okay. And as a young person, you gotta you gotta listen to our perspective. Our voices need to be heard. People are gonna look back. Our kids are gonna look back at this and say, "You were a part of that." I got a grandfather that marched next to Dr. King in the '60s, and he was amazing. He would be proud to see us all here. We gotta keep pushing forward. Sports are like the reward of a functional society. Sirius XM Sports presents Forward Progress, a weekly open conversation on race and sports in America. Here are your hosts, Jason Jackson and Kirk Morrison. Great to be with you. Great to be back together. And it was a wonderful weekend for those who love the pigskin. We got ourselves some Super Bowl combatants, and it's the the, the greatness of yesterday still holding on, <laughs> and the greatness of today uh, clashing, of course, um, with Kansas City and Tampa Bay. Uh, a little bit later in the program, uh, the NFL has a, a great program, a wonderful feature program that they're rolling out, have been rolling out, I should say, called Say Their Stories, individual players uh, sitting in front of the camera, straight, uh-huh. direct point of view, yeah. telling us the stories of individuals, both fallen and still with us, uh, that we should know. And a little bit later, we'll check in with a brand new endeavor. LeBron James does not stop, <laughs> Kirk. Don't stop, brother. But uh, let's go right to you and not so much the significance of who's playing in the game, but what these teams and this game will look like, unlike the Super Bowls that preceded it. Well, I think that the big thing will be the the people who will be calling a lot of the plays. Okay. Um, That's what's going to stick out for me in this Super Bowl. Now, I'm not saying that we haven't had – you know, black coaches and prominent figures before in these roles. But to look at where the NFL is right now, and as they have pretty much, you know, with one job remaining in the hiring cycle for 2020-2021, there was only one, I guess, minority hire or person of color in Robert Sala. Um, And the rest were of white men. Um, now, there were some general managers, I would say, that got the opportunity. So there was some African-American hires in that uh, in that sense. But when it comes to head coach, um, we haven't seen that yet. And I think what you're going to see in the Super Bowl, which is I think I'm excited about, is you're going to see some guys that don't necessarily look like what you see on a typical Sunday. You're going to see Byron Leftwich, who's the offensive coordinator of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. You're going to see a, a Keith Armstrong, who's a special teams coordinator of the Buccaneers. You're going to see a Todd Bowles, who is the defensive coordinator of the Buccaneers. You're going to see an Eric Bieniemy, who's the offensive coordinator uh, for the uh, Kansas City Chiefs. You're going to see men of color who are going to be having an impactful, impactful role and to determine Super Bowl 55, Jason. That's the thing that really has me excited about this game um, because these guys should be next up, right? They should be the next in line for the head coaching hires. And that's where I think people have to think about in the NFL, the way that you get to the next opportunity is by being in the position of a coordinator, you go from coordinator, then after coordinator, the next job up is the head coach. 
And there are guys who are going to be in that situation. Now, Eric Bieniemy, he's long overdue. And I hopefully something happens and, and hopefully he gets the Texans job maybe because he's a wonderful coach, guy who I've known for a very long time when I was just a, a young guy in college. And I always watched him as a coordinator and running backs coach. But that's what I'll be looking at as we as Super Bowl 55 approaches, Jason, because it's, um, it, it's something that I think that should be talked about a ton, especially for the head coach of the Buccaneers, Bruce Arians, right? Here's a white coach, but yet he has empowered the men of color on his staff and not just the men of the men of color. He's also have a couple of women assistant coaches as well. He is full all the way in and said, look, every, there are a lot of qualified people. There are a lot of people who are outside of maybe uh, the people who I hang with. But he is an equal opportunist. He gives everybody equal opportunity. And I think hopefully that may be where the NFL starts to move. And it starts with this Super Bowl. Thought about that as I was watching them put themselves in position to get back to the Super Bowl, that there has to be something about Bruce. There's something different about him. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And <laughs> can you get it into every single organization? And that's. That that's not obviously the case because there tends to be, and that's not. I'm not indicting the no. NFL. This is everywhere, right? You tend to hire people that you either came up with or right. people that are like you. Correct. You know, and so <laughs> those dynamics. Uh, Bruce has reached outside himself. What have you noticed about him uh, that that that? It puts him in that different spot. First of all, personality off the charts. Man, not afraid to have fun. Right. Um, so that's you cool know his, yeah, his mantra, his motto is uh, risk it, no biscuit, right? <laughs> if you don't risk it, you get no biscuit, right? I love it. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I think one of the things that I've, I've heard and learned from guys who I've interacted with and guys who are in that position of general manager, head coach, a lot of times you want to hire the guy you want to have a beer with. You know what I mean? It's the guy who you want. To, I feel like, you know, hey, I want to have a beer with that guy because you feel like maybe we're relatable. Not many times we grab the beer with the guy who we barely know. Or we don't know. And when you do sit down and talk like, wow, this dude's actually a lot different than I expected. A lot different than I thought. I mean, how many times have you been out? Uh, well, probably not during the pandemic, but previous times in the pandemic where the different, our, our, our travels may have taken us, right, Jason? And we happen to sit down, whether we're in the airport, whether we're at the hotel bar, we had a chance to relax for a minute and somebody pulls up next to you and you kind of look over, you know, okay. And then you guys have a conversation and you're like, wow. And, and, and it gets kind of in-depth and you walk away from like, hey, man, nice to meet you. That was a great conversation. And I think that's where Bruce Arians has kind of shown that, they, you know, he's not afraid to have that conversation. He's not afraid to reach out to other folks. And it doesn't matter if it's a woman, it's a man, matter if it's white, if it's black. That's what's kind of stuck out for me about Bruce Arians. We should also note uh, that there's a historic dynamic for the officiating crew. Correct. And uh, I want you to speak to that. Uh, but before I get to it, it was also was an awesome week in the NBA uh, as there was the first crew that had more than one woman. If I'm not mistaken, there are four full time. There might be five, uh, mm -hmm. but four full time females uh, that are on the NBA uh, officiating roster. 
Right. And two were together uh, in Orlando early in the week. And that had not happened before. No. Uh, and and Super Bowl Sunday will have a first as well, won't it? Yeah, Sarah Thomas. She's uh, one of the first uh, female officials. Uh, she does a good job. I mean, she she is a linesman um, or a lineswoman, how you want to call it. But she that, that's her line. She's right there. When you see that yard marker, she is right there on that line. She's watching for offsides. She's watching for alignments. She's you know right there next to the coaches. So she is fully dialed in. She's earned this opportunity because obviously I have watched her since she's been an official, right? You want okay, let's let's see if she is doing the work. And she has done the work. She's and you know, she's been able to to withstand, you know, some cornerbacks and wide receivers and guys say, hey, call the hole, call the flag. She's held her own. I know similar probably in the NBA as well. So I think this is a another moment for just professional sports, right? You mentioned NBA, uh, the NFL, um, that obviously it's a job to be done. But it doesn't have to be a certain person. It doesn't have to be a certain gender. It doesn't have to be the way a certain person looks. The job can get done in multiple ways. And I think that's what we're seeing now in a couple of our major sports. We we see women strap on skates and get on the ice. We see them play, um, if not baseball, softball, so similar dynamics, right? Um, still four balls and two and three strikes. Yeah. But it's I, I, don't, uh, I don't know too many brothers on the ice, though, Jason. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no, I'm, I'm going <laughs> no, down, saying, I'm I'm saying down the me. female angle here. I'm just throwing that. I'm a, just throwing for me, though. That's all I'm saying, brother. Yeah. I, I'm going down I'm the lady angle. <laughs> uh, women play basketball. The yes, NFL trying right. to get through that space. There's always that. And, and listen, we know there's a boatload of officials. We can see yeah. from here that, it, that, that <laughs> didn't play at a high level. Right. They started officiating. Is that a part of it that's kind of melted away or there's still some ice to chip at, particularly in your game because of the gap in playing the game? Wow. Um, You know what? I think what it will in the situation of analysts, right? We have some great analysts that have never played at that level in terms of the NFL and they do an outstanding job, whether it's film study. I mean, I know I learn a lot from guys that never stepped foot in the locker room to play and yet I'm learning from them and I play the game for eight plus years with some hall of famers alongside me. And so that's, I think kind of to my earlier point of there's a job that needs to get done. And sometimes the resumes are different. Sometimes the credentials are different. But if a person is good and they can do the job, then they should <laughs> they're more than welcome to go out there and be a part of it. And I think that's what we're seeing, that sometimes the qualifications, well, they got to have this X amount. of No, I mean, if the person's good at what they do, that's what we do. We're always looking for the next talent. If you see talent that can do it the right way and handle it the right way. I, I'm, I'm all for it. I, I've seen it. You know, I've been around it now to to a point where there's people who do a tremendous job. And whether it's officiating, whether it's film study, whether it's, I know in the NBA, I've known a, a bunch of guys who I went to college with who are video coordinators in the NBA. I know your coach was once a video coordinator. Like, there's no way he could be a head coach. But when guys can do the job, the whole you know, idea changes, right? Yeah. yeah like, but you have to be open to that. Be open to, let me see what they're, they're, not necessarily their credential, but their body of work. What does it look like? Because you put them in that space and, You'd be surprised, Jason. You got kids. I got kids. And it's always that one thing, Jason, that we always say, oh, man, he can't do that. And all of a sudden you come home and it's like, 
wow, that, that kid actually really did it. I never, you, and they surprise you to a point where now you, you, you trust in them to be able to go out and do more. The thing that is so important with young people is the visualization. Yeah. Being able to see that that is a possibility. Mm -hmm. that, that tends to be that first hurdle in convincing someone that they can do it. Correct. And now being able on Super Soul Sunday to point to this female official and, and noting you don't get here except through merit. Right. There, there are people oh, yeah. who have put on those stripes for decades yeah. that haven't sniffed the Super Bowl. So think about in a short period of time compared excellent. This lady has been at this job. Yeah. No, that's a great point. Um, because you have to be and, and officials are graded in the NFL. So you have to grade out uh, in order to get a job like the Super Bowl, which is the most watched game, uh, most watched sporting event every single year. And to be on that stage, you uh, you got you to pass the test and she's passed that test. And I'm looking forward to her going out there and doing a, a, a fantastic job. And uh, I guess I'm looking forward to some of those coaches out there being on that big stage as well. I mean, this is and for the NFL purposes. This is, this is the crown jewel. This is what we wait all year long for. Right. And so you always remember those lasting moments, who was there, who was the officials, the coaches, because now this is all part of history after uh, February 7th. All right, I'm going to get you on the record twice. This will be the first time. <laughs> twice? Get I, to go ahead. Twice? Yeah, we got two right, brother. before we yeah. get to the game itself. So early on, yeah, you're looking at this. Okay. You're breaking it down. It's so interesting. It is. I mean, it is, it, it, it is the savviness, mm -hmm. still the skill set, and leadership of Tom Brady. Yeah. Going against... The 9,000 arm angles, the stop on a dime, uh, yeah. the basically they get the ball, they put points on the board dynamic of New Patrick NFL. Holmes mm -hmm. and, and, uh, and, and these Kansas City Chiefs. You know, I'm, I'm really torn about this because um, for me, my first NFL game, right? I played eight years, but in 2005, I was a rookie drafted out of San Diego State. And I didn't start my first game, Jason. I didn't. But the guy who was in front of me, who was a veteran, who they kind of, to me, in my opinion, just started him because he was a veteran, because he messed up in the first series and they took his ass out. <laughs> and they threw me in and I never and, left and, the field. And then dreams came true. <laughs> yeah. But in that game, that first game I went in, it was against Tom Brady and the New England Patriots, them coming off a Super Bowl win versus the um, uh, Philadelphia Eagles. So in my first game as a professional, I'm looking across and staring in the, the eyes of number 12, and he looks at me in the eyes, he points at me, and I'm like, yeah? And then he says, 52 is the mic. And I'm like, oh, shoot, that's me. <laughs> I'm the mic. Okay, yeah. So I remember how vivid that moment was for me. And I've been a fan of his because I played well that day, led the team in tackles. We didn't win. But if I can compete at the same level of Tom Brady, then I feel like I can do okay in this league. Now, he was already playing before then. I did my time, walked through, and, and have been done with the game. He is still going. So that just kind of shows you um, just uh, how, like, you can never count that guy out. And then on the other side, you know, you're thinking about Patrick Mahomes, and he's the face of the new NFL. 
I mean, he's won. He's been to more Super Bowls than he's been to bowl games when he was in college, and he's only been a starter for three years. Like, I just want people to marinate on that. He was at Texas Tech, and he's been to more Super Bowls than he actually has been to a bowl game while he was in college. And so nuts. I can't. I, I just. It's. It's. I'm. I'm really torn. So as I go on record today, right. I am the beautiful thing. You get to change your mind. I can change, I can change but but this is what the Super Bowl does to you. Because my initial mindset is the Kansas City Chiefs are are destined to win. Like they are just the better team. They got the better weapons. They got the young quarterback, Andy Reid, and his record off of a bye. Um, just it's just a lot that kind of goes into it. And you think about um, the experience of winning last year. It's how do you go against them? And then I got Tom Brady pulling me, saying, hey, remember me? You know what I mean? Like, hey, don't forget about me. And to think that Tom Brady and LeBron James have been to 10 championships. Like, that that's insane, Jay. Like, I just wanted to get to one, Jason. They get to go to 10. Like, just let me get to one. So, but right now, if you ask me, I'm going, I'm going Kansas City Chiefs right now. I just think that... They're the better team. Um, I always say that. I don't know why I go against Tom Brady because when he wins, I'm just saying I'm just not surprised anymore. He's had a Hall of Fame career, but if if the Buccaneers win, I just said I don't need it. I tweeted this out the other day. I'm I'm saying Chiefs win, but if the Buccaneers win, I don't need a ten part series to tell me that Tom Brady is the greatest player, maybe greatest athlete of all time. I'm, I'm sorry, no. Michael. Like it's just. Yeah, it <laughs> might happen anyway. Rate. By the way, still might happen. <laughs> yeah, the cameras are rolling as you absolutely no doubt. All right, so uh, our super producer Pernell Brown, he has a responsibility. He's got to clip that off. We'll play it again next week, and you have mm. the you reserve the right. I know to shift. Yeah, the sentiment might get a hold of you. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see. Let's take a quick break. We're going to stay on your National Football League. And share a series called uh, Say Their Stories. And uh, the NFL uh, and its players have done a nice job uh, with the helmet series, putting the names on the back of their helmets. Now the players are telling the stories behind those names as forward progress continues. You're listening to Forward Progress on Sirius XM Radio. Welcome back. And we continue here on the program with this really interesting initiative, Kirk, from the National Football League, right. uh, Inspire Change. You go to NFL.com slash Inspire Change. Drop down to the bottom of that screen and you'll see these, these featured content uh, stories uh, from Baker Mayfield, uh, Leonard Fortnette, uh, DK Metcalf, many others, right? And it's an extenuating, I should say extending um, part of the program where players were allowed to select a message on the base of the back of their helmet. And there are a lot of names that we saw, Kurt. Now we're getting the stories behind it. What a wonderful series. I had a chance to go through a bunch. We're going to play a few uh, for our listeners here. But um, it's a really, really nice uh, kind of flow and connection of getting beyond just the names of the helmets. Yeah, I mean, it's part of the initiative that the NFL um, has not stopped. They have not wavered. They have 
um, been a part of this. So they've been doing this for a while. And it really came to, um, obviously, we talk about the, uh, the, the awakening of, of when George Floyd, uh, the murder of George Floyd back in the summer of 2020. And everyone was calling for change and calling for what is the NFL doing and the players are doing. And yet they had things already in place. It's just now have been magnified. And now the NFL realizes that we're we are one with our players. And so to see where they are now, Jason, and allowing the players to have those messages, those names on the back of the brand of the NFL, uh, I think that just goes to show you just where I think the NFL has changed because this wouldn't have happened 10 years ago, 15 years ago. But now they realize that we, we can't be tone deaf what happens outside of our stadiums, outside of these arenas and practice facilities. These are our players. But when they get out of those facilities and practices and go home, they're, 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 they're residents, right? They're, they're U.S. citizens. So, yeah, to hear them tell their stories, man, that's uh, I'm, I'm excited for where I think this is still going. I'm glad we get to share these with uh, the Forward Progress audience. We'll, we'll give you about four or five of these uh, to experience and listen to. Uh, if you want more, it's NFL.com. Uh, and, and you just go over to the Inspire Change section. Uh, let's listen in. Luna Finette here, running back for the Tempe Buccaneers. The NFL helmets program is our choice of the names that we want to put on the back of our helmets to represent certain people all over the world. The name I chose was Jordan Davis. Jordan Davis was at the gas station. He pulled up playing loud music, which I think we all do when we're in our own cars, uh, stopping to get gas. And just the attention was drawing him. And just someone, someone made a bad choice, a bad decision to take that young man's life. The music starts. I said, hey, would you guys mind turning that down? And uh, they shut it off. And then the music comes back on. That's when I reached in my glove box, unholstered my pistol. Quicker in a flash, I had uh, a round chambered in it, and I, I shot. Jordan Davis was 17 years old when he was gunned down for playing his music too loud. I think it's very important to share Jordan's message and his story because it could have been me, it could have been anyone in the world, but somehow, some way it happened to him. It makes no sense to be killed on playing your own music. Nowadays, we never know what anyone's going through. Music speaks to us, it helps us, you know, uh, different, different songs for different feelings. And it's just crazy how that happened to a young man like that. When people see Jordan Davis' name on the back of my home, it, it hopefully, hopefully, it wakes them up and know that us as athletes, we, we have hearts too. That could have been our family member, uh, our child, our cousin. NFL players are one of these names because we want their names to be remembered and heard. We're trying our best to use our platforms to make everyone recognize these senseless crimes. Say his name, Jordan Davis. I believe that the whole United States is mourning with me. And if the death of my son can mean something to the other unfortunate people all over the world, then for him to have died a hero would mean more to me than for him just to have died. chose to honor on the back of my helmet is Emmett Till. I think a lot of a lot of people don't know about Emmett Till. I learned about him uh, when I was in the fifth grade, so I mean, it's just pretty much stuck with me since I was in uh, fifth grade. 
Emmett Till was 14 years old when he came from Chicago to visit his family in Mississippi, who got brutally beat to death, actually, by uh, these white men just for whistling at a, a white woman when he was down in Mississippi. They found him a few days later in the Tallahatchie River, which is like an hour away from me, from where I grew up. When people, you know, are, are, you know, angry at what's going on in the world, you know, it's nothing new in my eyes coming from Mississippi. You know, I, I've been around it my whole life. Uh, never experienced anything firsthand, but, you know, I, I know what's going on in the world. Um, I'm not blind to the fact of, of any of it. The border was so badly damaged that we couldn't hardly just tell who he was, but he happened to have on a ring with his initials. If you see the before picture of what he looked like, you would think he had an allergic reaction of some sort. Ten times worse than that. He was beat, hung, drowned, or whatever possibly you could think of being done to a, to a teenage boy is very disturbing in my eyes. His life means awareness. story of, of how cutthroat the world is, how racism has been going on for numerous of years going on in America, and people think just it, it just went on in the South. Now racism is going on across the United States, and I'm sheltered because of I'm an NFL football player, and, and I'm, I'm a black man first, though. And, you know, once I take this Seahawks jersey off, once I leave this football game, then I'm a regular black man. And, you know, how are my kids going to, um, you know, view the world? Because I know how I view it. This is not a, a new problem. And, you know, we should have done something a long time ago. But we're living right now. People can see Emmett Till on the back of my helmet and, you know, go research his name. But, you know, racism is nothing new. And, you know, the effects of it, you see how it affects other people, other races. You wouldn't want to be treated like that. So just bring awareness to help your kids' kids, the next generation. The world needs love right now. Say his name. Emmett Till. on things that people of color have been complaining about for years. Unfortunately, he had to lose his life. He can't be here to experience the change or the impact that he created. If I had one wish, I would wish that he could experience this change. He will be the guy that got people to get up to vote. He will be the guy that got people to stop complaining, start marching, start holding people accountable. That's who he will be remembered as. The name I chose to wear on the back of my helmet was uh, George Floyd. And for me, that was the decision that I wanted to make and also a decision that I needed to make for my community. I actually come from the same community as George Floyd. I actually went to the same high school as George Floyd. 
I wanted to keep his name relevant, just to keep the cause relevant and stand with my community. George Floyd is from Third Ward, which is a neighborhood in Houston, Texas, which is also the neighborhood that raised me. George was a guy that played high school football in my school. He was a very big guy. He was one of the guys that just stayed connected to the generations after him. He didn't want the things that happened to the generations prior to us to continue to happen. He wanted us to build the neighborhood. You know, he had a real big voice and he could get his point across with as few words as possible. So he was a, a very good communicator. at a convenience store and they say that he was trying to purchase an item with uh, some type of counterfeit bill and then the police showed up they detained him and i think the first words that he told them was please don't kill me please please man he wasn't trying to get away and they got him on the ground he was clearly detained he clearly was not trying to harm anyone and then a cop proceeded to put his knee on his neck officer knelt on George Floyd's neck for eight minutes and 46 seconds. Mom, I love you. Please, I love you. registered who he was to me at the time because we called him Big Floyd. Most of the times you just know a guy by his nickname. And I got online, I realized all the people that were close to me that were affected. And that, that touched me. And it also touched me how my community moved so that this situation could gain recognition. It affected the world, it moved the world, it changed the world. We're not divided. We stand together. Time is always right to do what's right. And I think that is what came, you know, out of this whole movement from the NFL and the supporters of the NFL is that we're all together. We're not divided. We're for one cause. Say his name, George Floyd. Sharonda Coleman Singleton. She is the mother of Chris Singleton, who I've had the opportunity to talk with and learn about his mother's story. She was a strong woman of God. She was a pastor at Mother Emanuel AME Church. She was a mother. She was a coach. Just a loving soul, very warm person. And she had a lot of people that admired her and were inspired by her. And I just think that the ties that I have to my faith and the faith that she carried is something that I was attached to and that pushed me towards her. June 17, 2015, a man entered the AME church in Charleston, South Carolina, and was worshiping with and studying with the church members there. A group of church members were in Bible study, trying to grow their faith and in a place that you would think is the most safe place to be. And they just had attacker come in and start shooting. He wanted 
to start a race war. And it's so unfortunate to think in this era and this time that we're still living in a fear based off of a view of a certain group of people, the way they look at us as humans. I think of my mother. I, I think of my aunt. I think of my grandmother going to church and sitting in a Wednesday service. It's in my mind. I feel like it's something that will always be in my mind when these traumatic situations happen. Hearing Chris speak about that situation and his family's ability to be able to forgive and to know that that's what his mother would have done in that situation is very powerful. And if we can continue to push forward, our lives can be a lot more cohesive. We just need to be honest with ourselves about our history as a country, uh, to how we got to the point that we are today. And there were things that happened for hundreds of years here that I would say that a lot of people don't believe that they were a part of, but they have benefited from. And there's been a lot of fear uh, throughout the course of time uh, towards black people. And we think of something that just happened five years ago with this situation, something that just happened this past summer. This, this isn't something that's new. It's been taking place for years and it's all fear-based. What our history continues to teach us is that love will overcome all the fear. We still have made strides over the years, but we still have a long way to go. And I, I hope that it serves as a reminder. Say her name, Sharonda Coleman Singleton. My name is Julius Darius Jones, and since six days after my 19th birthday, the state of Oklahoma has held my life for ransom for a murder robbery that I did not commit. NFL is doing something great this year to bring awareness to many topics you really are passionate about. You have the choice and the chance to uh, put something on the back of your helmet to represent that, and I chose Julius Jones. Hearing about Julius's case, wrongfully convicted of a crime that he really did not commit, and seeing the evidence and hearing about the case, he's on death row uh, for something he didn't do. So I'm trying to bring awareness and do anything I possibly can to help Julius out. My court-appointed lawyers, they failed to properly defend me, and they did not call any witnesses in my defense. Not one, and I have alibi witnesses. I know Julius is innocent because my husband and I with him that night, Mr. Howell was murdered. Julius was 19 years old when he was convicted and sentenced to death row. It's a travesty and there's no other way around it. It's just awful. My personal connection with Julius is the connection through Oklahoma sports, knowing a lot of the same people. You know, obviously Oklahoma is something I'm very passionate about, but helping out good people is something I'm even more passionate about. And Julius is one of those good people that doesn't deserve this. And so uh, I feel a personal connection to try and help him out just because of everything I've heard about him being a great guy that's uh, in a very, very terrible situation. 
There are so many things that need to change in our country for us to make progress so situations like this don't happen anymore. We're not in the same day and age as we once were. There, there, there is right and there is wrong. It's not the same old thing that it once was, which was always wrong. We're living in a world that should be of freedom, equality, and people need to have an open mind on that. Say his name, Julius Jones. Say their stories. You can find on NFL.com. Two jump out to me. I mean, just off the screen. Yeah, I want to give Baker Mayfield a lot of credit. Mm-hmm. Um, to as a college student at Oklahoma, connect with a story that's so outside his standard. Yeah, operating procedure. Correct. Uh, with a man uh, as as they see it, wrongfully accused and on death row. Um, that, that's what we're talking about when we're talking about allyship. It, it, it may not be you just locking in or marching or one time. It could be one person, one injustice. Yeah. And that may be the light necessary for that individual. The other one that blew me away was DK. DK reaching into, you know, what probably at the time you, you have to, give your fifth grade report during black history month. Yeah. Stayed with the story of Emmett Till. And when you learn it, it does stay on you. It stays yeah. on your soul. Uh, the way that uh, that went down for that young man in Mississippi. Um, kudos to him for, for, for holding that in his heart and sharing that with us all. Yeah. And, I, and I'm, I'm, I'm glad that these players and former players are able to, to tell these stories, right. To, to say what matters to them, because I think, again, um, I said it before Jason, that you're not immune to what's going on in your own community. You're not immune to what's going on in your country. Like we all have feelings and the feelings that you're saying is, I know I'm a professional athlete and I'll play a sport and I'll play a game, but man, what's going on out there affects me too. And this is the reason why I want to make sure that there's awareness that I'm not only thinking of you, I'm playing for you, but your legacy, you know what I mean, will still live on. Your name will never be forgotten, right? And that, that's the part that I think that I want people to really understand. When I hear these stories, I listen to them, is that these are names of, of people who can very easily, we forget about, but then you realize when you hear that name, where it not only does it take you to, but it, what it, how it makes you feel. Because to me, you feel like, I feel like I got to do more. Like, I, I understand why it's called the Inspire page, right? Because you're inspired now and in hearing these stories to make sure, okay, I got to do more. Whether it's do more research, whether it's read more books, whether it's, you know, educate myself more. Like, it's a whole, feel like the blooming onion. You just, just start peeling pieces back and you're eating more and more. And it's like, God, it's good. I'm going to keep going back and eat more. But, I mean, that's what I do when I hear these stories, though. The education is top of the list. It really stuck with me when we talked with uh, David Fisdale um, not too long ago. Uh, it, 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 the idea of making sure you are almost weaponized with information. Yeah. That no one can tell you something that you yeah. have to go double check or get pushed sideways on. Um, that, that's a great part about this series, you know, that I, I want to learn more about that, that, that court case of Julius Jones not getting, you know, proper representation and um, the public defenders not bringing anybody on his behalf that, that his sentencing was the first time 
the court got to hear that his parents were with him on the night that uh, mm-hmm. the unfortunate occurred. So it, it's it's awesome. Kudos to Baker and Leonard DK and Damian and Randall for for sharing those in the NFL for creating that platform. Let's take a quick break. We come back. LeBron is not done in Akron. Yeah, you may be, you may live out there in a pretty space with the Morrison family, but he is still rooted in uh, his hometown and still trying to make change in the lives of young people and families in Akron, Ohio, and Northeast Ohio. Uh, we'll get more into that as Forward Progress continues. We now return to Forward Progress. Here's Jason Jackson and Kirk Morrison. We bring it on home on this week's edition of the program with the LeBron James Family Foundation recently purchasing uh, a restaurant in LeBron James' hometown of Akron. It's called the, the Tangier. It's, it's iconic in that part of the world. And basically, um, there's a plan uh, to take this space and renovate it and use it for retail, dining, events, uh, community space. Um, it, it's, it, it's a neat concept, Kirk, because while he's already got the school that changes generations, right, as, right. as we just keep rolling through, now changing the footprint and the feel of a space that, that needs, a, a, if not a redo, a renovation. Yeah, I mean, just in, in reading this um, and seeing it, I just said, wow. I mean, what more can a guy do when you talk about just the space in general for people of Akron and people who are just visiting to say, man, like, that's the piece of us. Like, it's a piece of our community. This is a piece of something that we can build on and it'd be there for years to come to have spaces for entertainment, spoken word, right? Recitals, uh, history lessons, whatever it may be. Like I was, I was thinking about probably what LeBron was thinking. And it's Jason is that this isn't just a space for um, people to come by and visit. This is a place for you to really be embedded for the community to come back and do more praise more for the community to say well we have some place to go and, and be at and feel that you know we can come together and not have to feel like we're not wanted right because there's places that you go and it's like uh i don't know if i fit in here i don't mm-hmm. look like the people who you know patronize some of these restaurants but there are certain areas that I think now and what LeBron is trying to do is, is make that change and make that change for people to feel like, hey, we're all welcome. And this is a space that I'm providing for everyone. The facility will be called House 33 after Atkins uh, uh, 330 area code uh, mm-hmm. will benefit the I Promise school families and children supported by the foundation. They're also planning a 50 unit housing structure nearby. Here's LeBron James himself on on this fantastic project. This is a huge project for us. Um, And us taking this building over such a prestige building, such a monumental uh, building in in our hometown of Akron, Ohio. Um, First of all, we we, we even thank, you know, everyone that's been a part of this of of allowing us to take that over and and do what we want to do to it. uh, But it's just about uh, continuing to change lives and empower families and empower kids and um, you know, give them the support system that they once believed that wasn't there. So 
for us to be able to take over this building and 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 we're going to outfit it with so many different um you know avenues for us to continue to build our families continue to build our legacy um, through our kids and through our families and uh, this is just another step in the right direction and um there will be more to come you know but you know we want to make sure we get this right as we've done some things you know that we have right right now we want to continue to build off of this and then go from there you can hear the pride in his voice kurt uh, right. about the expansion of the footprint of the Family Foundation and how it's just creating this totality. As I mentioned before, yes, let's get these kids nailed down with the proper education, the proper vision of the world, uh, self-confidence and belief, get them off to college. By the way, let's create a space that if they choose to come back home, there is there's this beacon that is calling them a space where they could either be an entrepreneur, get an initial job, get in a management program right out of high school, whatever the case may be. Yeah. And just a place to congregate too, and have those, like you mentioned, those ideas and you bounce them off each other, a place to come home to. Right. I think um, <laughs> I always laugh because uh, you remember how back before Jason, I don't know when you probably stopped. I know I stopped recently, but we would always go back home and it was the night before Thanksgiving where you always went back to the place in your hometown and you saw all your old buddies, your old sure. friends, and your sure. community. And for that one night you would link up and, you know, whether it was having a, a drink, a beer, hugs, laughs, video, whatever it may be, but you always knew where to go. And so I'm thinking of that maybe is that space now for people like you mentioned to always come home to. Like, hey, let's go to the Tangier. You know what I mean? What you doing Thursday night? Let's go back. Let's go home. You know what I mean? Let's let's go to a spot that's for us. And so I'm 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 excited for him because I know what those spaces can do for generations on generations. Uh, unfortunately, LeBron couldn't visit uh, location or uh, the school due to the uh, health and safety protocols of the NBA. I mean, there's so many right. things. <clears throat> that you can and cannot do, but man, oh man, what what a game changer uh, that potentially is in place here. And like I said, you almost could hear in his voice the excitement of oh, yeah. the endless potential of the types of things that they can could put in this space that that's going to directly impact things right now. Yeah, no, I think and the thing is, he's continuing. It's not going to stop. It's like, okay, what's next? And he keeps doing more and more. And um, whether it's his multimedia company he does, whether it's his fitness, whatever it may be, school, all that. It's like, what more can LeBron do? Well, they tried to nail him down. Remember, they tried to, they tried to try to get him to run for U.S. senator. Yeah, that, and he will win, Jason. That's oh. the thing about it. He's got the name recognition going to kill it right Man, off the jump. If the state of Alabama voted for Tommy Tuberville, the former coach at Auburn, all right, You're they LeBron's, got a shot. <laughs> LeBron's got a shot, especially in Ohio. LeBron would have run. Oh, yeah. I, I wonder how he's, uh, I, I assume the, the 30,000 square foot mansion's still there in uh, Akron. So, oh, yeah. You know, he's got the proper address. If he only if he wanted to, only if he want. He says, "I still got more work to do, but I get it." If he wanted to, yes. Oh, <laughs> uh, he's like, I already have a job right now. Yeah, yeah. I re up for a couple more years here, but uh, we'll keep an eye on it. Boy, wouldn't that be a thing? Wouldn't mm -hmm. that be a thing? Kurt, great to be with you. I look forward to seeing if you still stay with the Chiefs next week <laughs> with your Super Bowl pick. That's going to be we awesome. Shall see. <laughs> oh man, for uh, Pernell Brown and Kirk Morrison, I'm Jason Jackson. Thanks so much for being with us. We'll talk to you next time.